It is great to be with you this morning. I want to start out by uh, calling your attention to some things that are coming up that are very important in the life of this congregation. Uh, First thing you need to know is that there are a couple of camp sessions coming up. Camp is open. A couple of middle school sessions. Uh, The first one will be starting actually today. A number of our people are already up there. A number of our people have been working kind of frantically this week, getting camp ready for the sessions that are coming up. And I just ask for you to be in prayer for all the kids that will be going up there, um, all the staff that will be up there. Just pray that those two weeks that we're going to be able to have camp will be life-changing weeks in the lives of each of those kids and also the staff that are up there. Also, want to call your attention to our Netherwood Park family encampment. That will be next month, just a couple of weeks after the camp sessions end. We would love to see as many people as possible up there so that we can enjoy time together, we can fellowship together, we can worship together. So please be thinking and praying about that. And then the week after that will be our ladies' um, retreat that we're hosting here at Netherwood Park want you all to be in prayer about that as well. And ladies, if you have not yet registered for that, I would encourage you to do so as soon as possible. Um, there will be a registration booth set up by the coffee bar this morning in between worship service and class. And that would be a great time to go by and get registered for the ladies' day. So please keep all of those things in your prayers. Well, we are nearing the end of our sermon series from the book of Romans. And this morning, we're going to slightly shift our focus, slightly shift it from what we've been doing for the last several months. Over the last several months, we've been focused on the message of Romans, the message delivered by the Apostle Paul, first delivered to that church in Rome, and now in following centuries, delivered to churches like us everywhere. And this morning, we're not going to forget Paul's message But we're going to give equal billing to the messenger. We're going to bring Paul, the person, into our conversation this morning. And we're going to bring Paul into the conversation because Paul derives much of its validity from his personal credibility. Now, that's not something that's unique to Paul as a messenger, is it? In fact, this should be and often is a a natural part of our evaluation process about any kind of message we receive. And in this day of the internet, it definitely should be a part of our evaluation process about any message we receive. We should always ask, how credible is the source? How reliable, how trustworthy is the messenger? And especially when a messenger is handing out advice and offering instruction, our prudent, our prudent course of action is to evaluate their credibility. And one way that we do that is by examining their lives, by examining their actions. We ask questions like, do they practice what they preach? Do they follow their own advice? Are their actions consistent with their words? So as we near the end of this message from Paul that we call Romans, I think it's appropriate for us to take a moment to evaluate Paul's credibility, evaluate his reliability, his trustworthiness. And I think it's prudent for us to take a moment and examine Paul's life. Did Paul, the messenger, practice what he preached 
Did he follow his own advice? Are his actions consistent with his words? And I don't want to present this like it's some great mystery. We know the answer to all of those questions about Paul, don't we? See, Paul's words are credible because his life was incredible. Paul's message is reliable and it's trustworthy in large part because he practiced what he preached. He followed his own advice. He lived his life as a messenger. And his life as a messenger was consistent with his message. So we're not trying to solve any kind of mystery about Paul this morning. But what we do want to do is we want to reinforce and appreciate what we already know. Paul was a messenger who lived out his message. Paul not only talked about the gospel message, Paul lived the gospel message. And I think appreciating Paul's credibility is important for us for at least two reasons. And one reason why I think it's important to us, it's important for us to appreciate Paul's credibility is so that we can be confident in taking and applying all those words that we've been focused on all these months. We can be confident that those words that we've been studying, those words we've been reciting, those words we've been deeply steeped in, we can be confident that those words are true, that they're faithful, that they're beneficial. And we can be confident that Paul's words come from God. We can be confident that those words are the gospel truth. So we can be confident in the message because we can be confident in the messenger. And the second reason why I think it's important for us to focus on Paul's credibility is so that we can be confident in imitating Paul. Paul not only preached the gospel, he also lived the gospel. So we can be confident in imitating his life. We can be confident that imitating Paul's life is also true. And it's beneficial. We can be confident that imitating Paul is something that we should do because Paul's life is something that he learned to do from God. We can be confident that Paul lived the gospel truth. We can be confident in the messenger. So we can be confident that if we'll allow ourselves to follow Paul's message and also follow its messenger we can be confident that we'll also be following Jesus Christ. And that's one reason why I've been confident and comfortable in asking you to do something on a fairly regular basis that I know is uncomfortable for some of you. And that's publicly joining with this messenger, with Paul, in affirming the power of his gospel message. So once again, I'm going to ask you to please join with me in affirming the power of the gospel. So if you would repeat after me the words of Paul. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. And the church says, Amen. Amen. So, who is Paul? Who is this messenger? Well, Paul is exactly what those words that we just recited claim. 
Paul is a bold, passionate, and unashamed messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only that, Paul is a living testimony to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to Paul describe to his protege, Timothy, what Jesus has accomplished in his, in Paul's life. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And then once more, we hear those beautiful words that were read earlier. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So who was Paul? Well, Paul says he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a violent man. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. But who is Paul? Well, Paul's a bold, passionate, and unashamed messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is transformed by the power of the gospel that he now preaches to others. He's a living testimony to the transforming power of the gospel. And part of Paul's transformation can be seen in his priorities. See, because of the power of the gospel, Paul is now completely consumed. Paul's entirely focused. He's single-minded in pursuit of his mission, the mission he's been given by God. Paul put it this way in his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, all those things that I considered important before, I now consider them to be just trash. He says, I don't focus on the past because I'm straining toward what is ahead. So who is this man, Paul? He's a zealot. He's a maniac. He's a radical. He's a Jesus freak. In the very best sense of all those terms. To Paul, nothing matters but Jesus. To Paul, nothing matters but telling others about Jesus. Paul's entire identity is tied up in the message. His entire identity is wrapped up in being its messenger. And because of that identity, Paul is then able, without reservation, to invite others to follow him as he follows Jesus. Paul says this in what I think is one of the most remarkable passages in the entire Bible. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31... He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And then Paul says this remarkable thing. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want to tell you, that's pretty bold. To be able to say, to write down for posterity's sake, if you'll follow my example, if you'll live like I live, if you'll act like I act, if your attitude is like my attitude, if your focus is where my focus is, then you can be confident that you're following Jesus Christ. What Paul says there is bold, but it's true. So we can be confident in following Paul's example. Which means that we need to take seriously what imitating Paul really looks like. See, according to Paul, imitating him is doing everything we can. Everything we do for the glory of God. According to him, imitating Paul is not causing anyone to stumble. According to him, imitating Paul is not seeking our own good, but seeking the good of many so that they may be saved. See, if we're going to imitate Paul, it seems to me like maybe we all need to be bolder. We all need to be more passionate. We all need to be less ashamed messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to imitate Paul, it seems to me like we should take more seriously our charge to be living testimonies to the transforming power of the gospel. It seems to me that if we're going to imitate Paul, we should all be more single-minded in our pursuit of our mission. Which brings up the logical question, how do we get there? How do we become like Paul? How do we become more like Paul? 
And one obvious answer is we become a messenger like Paul by, be, by following after Paul. So how did Paul get there? How did Paul do it? Well, let's listen to Paul's words from Romans 15, beginning with verse 15. And I think we can pick up some clues about how Paul did it, which will give us some clues about how we can do it. Paul says this, he says, I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, there's our first two clues about how Paul did it and about how we can do it. First, Paul did it by being passionate about his duty. Sometimes it's hard to be passionate about something that is a duty, isn't it? We interact with a lot of people in a lot of different environments that have a duty to do something but have no passion about it. And when we do encounter people who are passionate about their duty, it stands out, doesn't it? It makes an impression on us. Well, Paul was passionate about his duty. Paul sees himself as a priest of God. A priest of God that gratefully and joyfully offers up the souls of Gentile converts. And he offers those up as a sweet-smelling aroma, a fragrance to Christ. And if we're going to be like Paul, if we're going to follow Paul, we must be passionate about our duty, our God-given duty. See, we, all of us, all Christians, are priests of God. And as priests of God, we have all been given the duty of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing that gratefully and joyfully so that others may come to know the gospel so that others may come to know Jesus Christ, and so they too may be offered as a sweet fragrance to our Lord. So I think we all should ask ourselves, are we, like Paul, passionate about our God-given priestly duty? See, like Paul did, we must be passionate about our duty. So that's clue number one. And the second clue that we see is that Paul was focused on transformation. Paul wasn't focused on so-called conversion experiences. No, Paul is focused on completely changed lives. His focus is on others becoming an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Spirit. Paul's focus is on nurturing holy and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't see his work completed at baptism. No, Paul's work isn't done until converts have ceased to be their own masters and instead have experienced the same kind of transformation that Paul had. They too have become grateful and joyful servants of the Lord. And that's why Paul writes these letters. That's why Paul makes those trips. That's why Paul mentors and raises up helpers and partners in his gospel mission. So that he can see transformation take place 
in the lives of those that he's shared the gospel with. And so if we aspire to be like Paul, we have to also understand that evangelism can't be reduced to just baptism. As important as baptism is, our duty isn't just to get people in and out of the water. Our work is to patiently and lovingly and firmly and joyfully to make disciples. So I think we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to stay focused? Are we willing to stay invested in the lives of other people as God continues to do his transforming work? His transforming work in their lives. So like Paul, we must be focused on transformation. That's clue number two. Well, for a couple of additional clues, let's go back to Romans chapter 15. We'll start in verse 17 and listen to Paul as he says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I have done by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So how did Paul do it? Well, clue number three is Paul was certain about his identity. Do you hear the certainty in Paul's words? Paul knows who he is. Paul knows why he is here. And Paul knows what he should be doing. Paul knows he's a servant of God. Paul knows that God has lifted him up for the benefit of the Gentiles. And Paul knows that to accomplish his mission, he must share the gospel at all times and in every way. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of certainty? To know exactly who you are. To know exactly why you're here. To know exactly what you should be doing. Well, maybe we can. I mean, certainly we haven't been tasked by God nor gifted by God in the same ways as Paul. Our mission probably isn't as big as taking the gospel to the entire Gentile world. We're not gifted with the power of signs and miracles to aid our mission like Paul was. No, we're not tasked nor by God nor gifted by God in the same ways as Paul. But we can still have certainty. We are certainly servants of God. And we can be certain that we too have been lifted up by God and we've been gifted by God to join in his mission through the church. Every one of us, each of us, every member of the church has been given an important role in the mission of the church. We've all been given gifts to help us carry out our role in that mission. We've each been given an identity. And that identity is in the church. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we really embracing our true identity as servants of God? So, Like Paul, we need to be certain of our identity. That's clue number three. Well, the fourth clue and the final clue... As to how Paul did it, is that Paul preached the gospel with words 
and with deeds. So some Christians act as if the old saying, do as I say and not as I do, they act as if that's like gospel, right? They invite people to listen to their preaching words, but ask them not to pay any attention to how they actually live their lives. But on the other hand, some Christians prefer the popular saying, usually attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, that goes something like this. Preach the gospel at all times and use words only if necessary. That idea being that if I'm living my life correctly in front of other people, preaching the word shouldn't really be necessary. Well, Paul puts the lie to both of those extremes. See, Paul did what he did because the message that he delivered with his mouth was consistent with the life that he lived out. The message was consistent with the messenger, and the messenger was consistent with the message. Paul led people to God by what he said, and Paul led people to God by what he did. Paul's message wasn't nullified because of the life of the messenger. But the messenger never missed an opportunity to speak the message. So Paul taught about the transforming power of the gospel, and he lived his life as a living testimony to the transforming power of the gospel. Paul invited people to listen to his message, his message of transformation, and then he invited them to look at his life to see if that message was true. And so here's the hard one. If we want to follow Paul, if we want to imitate Paul, we need to be willing to invite others to look at us, to look at us deeply and carefully. Invite them to look at us to see how human life transformed, rearranged by the gospel. What does that look like? That sounds pretty, pretty intimidating, doesn't it? It sounds intimidating to me to invite other people to look at me as an example of the transforming power of the gospel. How could we possibly be confident enough to invite others to look at us to see the transforming power of the gospel? But I think there's something else that we need to remember about Paul. See, Paul invited people to look deeply at his life, but Paul also confessed to people this from Romans chapter 7. Paul also said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, Paul not only invites people to look closely at his life, he also openly confesses that God's transforming power is still working in him. 
He isn't transformed. He is being transformed. He's not there yet. And in this confession of God's work not yet completed in him, he's then able to point away from himself. He's able to point back to Jesus Christ. Because when he asks, who will rescue me, he answers the question and says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if we're going to follow Paul, we need to teach the word. And then we need to be able to invite people to look at us deeply to see how the gospel is rearranging our lives. But we also need to be able to openly confess that we too are still works in process. And then we need to point back to Jesus Christ because he alone is able to rescue. He alone is able to save. So we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we ready to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our brother Paul who lived his life and spoke his words in such a way that he was able to say, if you'll follow me, you will be following Jesus Christ. And Father, sometimes we look at Paul as like he is a superman. And Father, we thank you that he was willing to confess to us that he's no superman. Father, that he's, that he's had failings, he has his faults, he has his difficulties, but Father, his power comes from you, from your son and from your spirit that you've given him. And Father, help us to imitate Paul not only in our words and our deeds, but also, Father, in our humility as we recognize and as we confess to the world that transformation is only possible because of you and your Son and your Spirit. So, Father, transform us. Father, make us messengers to the world around us with our words and our deeds so that others can come to know you. And so, Father, that they can come to you as a sweet fragrance, as new creatures washed clean, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lamb. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, I want to end by giving you our uncomfortable challenge number 29 of the year. And this is an examining challenge, and this is truly an uncomfortable challenge. I encourage you this week to examine your words And examine your deeds. And ask yourself, do they match up? And do they preach the gospel? Our words and our deeds. And if the answer is no, they don't match up. And if the answer is no, they don't preach the gospel. Then ask yourself this question. What changes do I need to make? That's our uncomfortable challenge for the week. Let's end this time together in song about victory that we have in Jesus and only in Jesus. Let's stand. Let's sing. Sing.